edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I am your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me here my co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you? You know, about a minute ago, I need my desk and knocked off a bunch of books uh, off of my desk, uh, and now my knee is throbbing. Other than that, I'm doing great, Parker. How are you? You know, it's little things like that that make us feel alive in these uncertain times. Uh, so. Yeah, I didn't think I could hurt myself staying inside, but as it turns out, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty talented. Uh, you're talented. Yeah, talents for hurting yourself are uh, of no of no limits. Um, unmatched. Uh, I am I am hurting right now, uh, and it is only mentally because I just got tagged and saw a video of Zach Evans, uh, TCU's five star running back recruit, uh, the greatest player in the history of college football, uh, hopefully. Yes. And uh, he is doing some kind of row exercise with these like crazy flat kettlebells. And can I just say, Zach Evans' back looks so strong. If back strength is correlated to being a good running back, I feel like Zach Evans is going to be a very, very good running back. It can't hurt, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm watching. Yeah. Okay, I'm so that's got to be how many? How many pounds do you think that is? I'm going to say those are. Man, keep in mind, I don't work out. That's got to be <laughs> like 35 pound, more than that, probably 40 pound kettlebells in each hand. Yeah. Dumbbell is doing straight rows. And, like. and he just cranks out 12. And let me tell you, as someone who, who lifts a little bit, uh, I, I admire this because he's got his back perfectly. Like he's not, he's not like edging those up or like throwing them. Like no. he is completely still just like his lats are just moving these huge things. Uh, it is, it is very impressive. The, the form is incredible. Yeah. Okay. Parker how many of those, a, uh, how many of those do you think he could do? How many could he do? He did, he did okay. 12 and 11 uh, seconds. Okay, I could probably do two in about 20 if you really pushed me. With perfect form? I don't know, man. I, it, I have no – no, no. Perfect form, one maybe, a, a half, and then I'll fall over. I don't know. I don't know if Parker, I could do you were, one. Yeah, you crazy. were a high school wrestler. I was. You were a high school wrestler. Could you wrestle Zach Evans? Uh, I mean, I you could. You the I would, technique. I would lose very, very badly. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I actually – my this is my, like, embarrassing shame uh, – senior year of high school story the first match of the year I wrestled this kid from a new high school and he was a really good football player but like really really bad wrestler and I beat him like 15 to 2 I didn't quite tech him but I I I beat him like he had no idea what he was doing we didn't see each other again all year and then we wrestled again for third in the district and third goes to state fourth stays home and, and doesn't move on and this guy who did not know how to wrestle over the course of the season became like the best kid I wrestled the entire thing. Like all the only thing separating me from him at the beginning of the year was like, I knew the rules and he didn't. And I feel mm -hmm. like Zach Evans has enough body awareness that he would just kill. Like if he knew the rules at all, he would just kill. What is it with TCU running backs and feats of physical strength? Because Shea Walana Lua was on like the, the freak list for his entire career. Yeah. Uh, Foster and Barlow look like, you know, chiseled out of stone. And then Zach Evans is just ripping. Like, well, what's crazy is like Zach Evans is basically a scat bat compared to them. He's 5'11", yeah. 200, which is not small. Yeah. Uh, but still, like compared to Shewo, who's like 6'4", 240, and then looking at like the, the Barlow and Foster, like Zach Evans is, you know, a, a swing back relatively. Yeah, I honestly, this kind of gives me a little bit of, of – Enthusiasm. I mean, not that I needed any more, but we knew the guy was quick. If he's that strong, I mean, that's something to be said for that. Yeah. I, I'll put it this way. I'm all for TCU just kind of every Wednesday tweeting out videos of Zach Evans doing a different workout. Yeah. Um, maybe he's like, I don't know, squatting Gary Patterson 30 times. I don't know. <laughs> but um, just, just, you know, liven up the content a little bit, get us ready for football season. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, well, the the other thing I was going to think about with the working out is I re- there was a streak. I think it was last spring. They were doing the TCU offseason workouts and they were doing like the strongman or whatever. And it was very clear that like TCU has a very hard cap on how much weight they'll let anyone try because you saw like every wide receiver was like, oh, I set a personal record at 640 pound squat. Like exactly everyone set the mm-hmm. same personal record. And then like all the linebackers, no one got over seven, which I mean, why would you? It's silly, but it was funny. Just, right. you could see like, everyone was like, I maxed out today and I hit 700 pounds. You're like, well, they let, like, they let you do only 700 pounds. Yeah. Right. Right. Who, who I'm trying to think. I, Wallow, I bet you is just an absolute animal in the weight room. In terms right. of work ethic, sure. I don't see him as a like a Ty Summers like freak. I see him as like a okay, workout yeah, Summers, guy. Yeah, Summers. I bet, probably I bet Garrett Waller could like out curl Ty Summers, but like power clean, no way. Did you see? Are you, hold on. Are you saying Garrett Waller works out gritty? I'm saying Garrett. I'm saying Garrett Waller does. <laughs> Garrett Waller does beach muscles, and Ty Summers does. Uh, oh, muscles. that's no. Not I'm fair. just kidding, that's Garrett. We love fair. you. I'm sorry. Um, the uh we're just ambling here for a second we'll get to some twitter questions and then get to a great yeah, preview yeah, yeah, of west yeah. virginia i should probably have kicked Nothing's off with saying Y'all will enjoy it. this You're is the fine. west virginia You're preview fine. episode it's really great um i i'm 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 learning that the internet is a thing that people can see the other night i was you know feeling especially uh rowdy about tcu's offense and i posted a play where against kansas where tcu sent carter ware from the backfield into motion and i said remember that time that tcu sent their one career catch tight end into motion as a passing threat in the, in the flats. And Carter where <laughs> retweeted that and said, I have two catches. Like he called me out. He saw it and called <laughs> it. I didn't tag him or anything, Good. but I realized they're out there. So I want to apologize to Garrett Wallow. We're big, we're big fans. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you what you need to apologize for is that tweet uh, that you sent the my goals in 2020 <laughs> with uh, the, the play Shamo Wanalu against SMU. You ruined my night. Parker. It is, that it is nice. very rare that I make wrong my, with like, you? it is very rare that I make myself laugh. And I like, I giggled when I, yeah, when I came up with that, that was, that was pretty terrible. Um, okay. So we're going to do a West Virginia preview. We've got uh, Jake Lance from smoking musket, the SB nation, West Virginia blog, Conan talking on, um, before that we have a couple uh, Twitter questions. Let's just, let's toss those out there. Um, our friend, Will Taylor, yeah. Taylor, friend of the pod, uh, at Taylor to one, two W. Um, asks, will TCU follow Texas rice, Notre Dame and other schools and foregoing fall break and getting students home? before Thanksgiving. Um, and so a little bit of context on that, uh, Texas announced today, Notre Dame announced last week, South Carolina, I think also announced this, um, that they were basically going to move the semester up a week, cancel fall break, and then in the semester before November to try and kind of get in the warm weather season. Um, that seems like a, a football heavy move there. Um, and so Grant, you know, you, you know, Texas, um, you've been in journalism, talking to high schools and education and, and colleges and everything. Do you think that uh, Texas schools will follow suit uh, with what the University of Texas at Austin does? Yes. So uh, University of Texas at Austin is definitely um, sort of, I mean, it, it's the flagship, right? It, it's, you know, top 15 school in the country and one of the best public schools in the country and definitely is um, sort of the bellwether for, for what um, Texas schools will do. The other thing is that UT also has a major hand in running uh, the university interscholastic league, which governs all public high school sports in Texas. Um, so with UT doing that, I think it's extremely likely that the UIL will adjust. Um, and I don't know if, I mean, so Texas schools, public schools, high schools and, and, and elementaries and all that are, have certain avenues they can take to where, okay, they can modify the school schedule for this calendar or this calendar or this calendar. Um, and, and that's going to be, I think, district-based. But if you look at the 
athletic calendar, I think they're going, I mean, schools are going to follow what the UIL does, and that will most likely follow what UT does. What I'm trying to say is that if that's the case, I wouldn't be surprised if Texas universities follow so that they can keep that schedule in line. I think it's going to be kind of a tipping point thing to where Texas does it. Maybe you see the A&M system do it, um, you know, uh, or some school like SMU or Baylor or whatever might do it. And then that just kind of leads to other schools following suit, kind of like it did when they canceled classes in the first place. Um, so if I were a betting man, yeah, I think that's, there's a, a distinct possibility that, that TCU does go that route. Definitely. I do wonder about like an, an A&M and we've talked about, you know, Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, like having mm-hmm. so much writing on 2020, I wonder how much that will influence you know, schools and everything. And, you know, football doesn't run the show at, at everywhere or anything, but it's interesting to see. But I, I think, I think Texas schools will follow, um, follow what Texas does there for sure. Okay. So, so Will's real question here is what's your best fall break trip? I only took one. I went to Long Island with my roommate, uh, shout out Dan. Um, me and two of my buddies, uh, went with Dan to his home on Long Island where he's from. We went to New York City. It was a great time. I, uh, as soon as we got off the plane, we all tried to talk in our worst New York accents and yell things at cab drivers. So it was a lot of a, hey, I'm walking here, and, you know, uh, and a lot of that. We, we had a great time. Also, every taxi we went in, we asked if it was the cash cab, and none of them were, but we were ready. I mean, we were Jack, I see Bill Bailey or whatever that guy's name is. Um, but that's the, only, that's the only trip I took. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like you? I'm the I'm like the fall breakinist. Like the fall break trip is my is my mo. So my my wife and I did. Uh, we went to Denver for uh, you know six days last last fall break, and we we went to Portland the year before. Um, and so we just kind of you know like get in the Pacific Northwest, go see a city we haven't seen, go to some mountains. But I think my best fall break trip was my freshman year. I drove up to Air Force uh, to Colorado Springs and stayed with some friends. And TCU played Air Force during fall break. And so we went and saw a game at Air Force. It snowed. Um, we were all outside freezing our behinds off. And TCU won, of course, because my freshman year, 2009, TCU won uh, every regular season game. Uh, mm-hmm. This was back when the wild, wild Frog wasn't called the Wild Frog, and it was still good. And Jeremy Curley lined up at quarterback, and he scored a touchdown. And he ran over, and we were like the only TCU people there. We were all kind of cur- curled in the end zone. And Jeremy Curley reached up and, and gave us all a high five. And freshman me thought, this is awesome. We went to a road game. They scored a touchdown. He came and found, uh, he came and found us in the, in the end zone and gave us a high five. And we went to Garden of the Gods and you know, drove around and saw all the mountain stuff too. So that was a pretty great fall break trip. Yeah, I'd say that that ranks up there. Uh, was that Air Force team any good? Or was that just a regular TCU stomping of an opponent? I, I think that was one of, uh, it wasn't 2019 Air Force good, but I think it's one of Air Force's right. more competitive teams when they were kind of in the top of the Mountain West. Um, if I recall, that game really was like 20 to 13 or something. Like it was, it was actually pretty close, um, but it was snowing right. and freezing. So, um, okay. So we have, we have one and, more uh, question. Go, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, this uh, shout out, uh, Will Brasher, uh, expectant father to be. Uh, what are your top five things that are purple? Um, this one, this one's actually super easy for me. Um, it's going to be, uh, Max Duggan five times, um, yeah. is my answer. Um, I think that's kind of, kind of the best way to put it. Uh, also I do really love, um, uh, purple flowers as lame as that sounds. I think they're really cool. But I don't know enough flower names, but the, the purple like, ones, okay. big fan of that. The purple ones, big fan of the purple ones. Um, do you have any I, favorite purple things? outside? I of was TV? thinking, I was just trying to think about, um, yeah, things I like that are purple. Max Duggan five times is hard to beat for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about uh, the the Minnesota Vikings because their um, offensive coordinator, who's now the Cleveland Brown head coach, uh, has a really great 
play action pass kind of uh, progression that I really, really liked. Um, the other thing I thought about when we thought about purple the first time, what's the, uh, it's not the Hamburglar, but it's the big, uh, the big purple guy. Oh, uh, Grimace. Grimace. Love Grimace. Big fan of Grimace. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to give other purple things. Muck, the Pokemon. I think he was purple. Yeah. Hey, um, Muck. No, no, gross. Uh, you're not a big Muck guy. No, no, no. What? It's just nothing. D- uh, ditto. Bigger fan of Ditto. Than ditto. Ditto was cool. Um, Actually, I'll tell you another answer. You ever had a dewberry pie or a dewberry cobbler? No, what's a dewberry cobbler? It's a dewberry is like blackberry but different. It's like it's like a regional variety uh, in South okay, Texas. Okay. And it's no, it's not a blueberry, it's not a blackberry. It it it's in between. It's like a dark purple. And you cut open a blueberry cobbler and that purple kind of goo ah, spills nice. out. Oh, let me tell you, I, I'm I'm dreaming about it right now. Very nice. Yeah, uh, I, I think I have the definitive answer though, and then and then we'll move on and, and talk yeah. some football. Uh do you remember when you were a kid and it was summertime and you were really hot and you played outside with your friends and you came in and in the freezer there were always those thin popsicles that came in the sleeve yes and, and you, you cut, cut your cut lip them, on the top and of you them? cut your lip on the top yeah you yeah. like ripped it off of your teeth and everything the purple ones of those i think are the best ones and uh so i think purple that's an outstanding uh, answer yeah purple purple popsicle is, is probably the answer right behind max duggan um wearing, wearing yeah. purple um yeah yeah Good hard hitting questions there. That's, yeah, yeah, you know we're doing some we're doing some yeah. real stuff here. Um, quarantine is quarantine. We're all being we're all being people. So hope we're all staying safe. Um, mm-hmm. We are going to transition now, and we're going to hear from Jake from Smoking Musket, and we're going to break down West Virginia twenty twenty football. Um, as always, follow me and Grant on Twitter. We'll be uh, continuing to do our our slow series of previewing the twenty twenty football season, and we'd love to hear from you about that um, on Twitter. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. Jake Lance from Smoking Musket, SB Nation's West Virginia blog. Jake's here to provide us with all the knowledge and insight about West Virginia's 2020 football team and season that we could ask for. Jake, how are you? Thanks for being here tonight. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm, you know, stuck at home like everybody else. But other than that, we're, we're living life like we should. Surviving the best we can, as it, as it were. Which also might be a nice little motto for West Virginia's 2019 season, which is what I think we'll start off talking about. The West Virginia Mountaineers in 2019 were 5-7 and seven overall, 4-2 and two in one-score games, with 3.6 second-order wins. So they more or less stole a win on the season, according to what the advanced statistics thought. Uh, they finished the season 98th overall in SP+, 100 on offense, and 73rd on defense. Let's talk about 2019. Jake, the term year zero has been thrown around in college football a lot. Are you familiar with the year zero term? I absolutely am. Can you sell me on 2019 being Neil Brown's year zero at, uh, at West Virginia? Oh, absolutely. So 2018 was the pinnacle of the previous head coach, Dana Holgerson. And that was, if he was going to get it done, that was the year he was going to get it done. We had seniors throughout the team. So when Neil Brown came in, because we did not get it done in 2018, Neil Brown was looking at a completely all, a complete offense that had nobody. You had a brand new quarterback. You had all brand new receivers. You had brand new running backs. I mean, it was just a total setup for what you would say is a year zero. So everybody who needed to buy in, you know, you kind of had to get all the, the the old school out, bring in the new school. Um, you know, you had you had the old you had a quarterback that transferred in trying to bridge the gap 
and we brought in uh, another quarterback that we were thinking, hey, if we can get him eligible immediately, maybe we start him and we pick something off. That didn't happen. So you had a lot of new faces on offense, and usually new faces on offense are a great recipe for a year zero in football. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was talk about that roster. Uh, you know, you had uh, a very stout FCS, James Madison. You had a, a, a game against North, uh, North Carolina State and a couple early games, and it looked like it could be a very, very uh, dry spell kind of starting out. So I think a lot of expectations were that, you know, things were going to be really, really rough in Morgantown. And, and they were, and we'll get to that. But uh, definitely some foundational building blocks. Um, before we kind of move into Neil Brown and what he's done for the program and what, what, what his kind of West Virginia legacy moving forward is, I do want to talk about Holgerson. Because I feel like Holgerson is a, a very weird thing for anyone who hasn't, you know, deeply followed West Virginia. He had 10 wins twice. One of those was the last year that Virginia or West Virginia was in the Big East. Um, and he was always kind of like good and a threat, but he was never really there. He was never really kind of in that top level. Um, and so yeah. what, what is the deal with, you know, did, did West Virginia just reach a breaking point? Why did he leave? What, is, what are West Virginia fans kind of perception of Dana Holgerson? And then how does, how does Neil Brown kind of remedy some of those uh, dissatisfactions? So the, Dana Holgerson was a, a weird uh, in a weird place in West Virginia. He was following uh, Bill Stewart, who was the quintessential West Virginia guy. You know, he was the, the – Stewart was the folksy hero. He was the guy who beat Oklahoma in the 07 Fiesta Bowl. So everybody loved him. However, Stewart's offenses were atrocious. Uh, if you guys remember how great Geno, Geno Smith was in his first year in the Big 12, he was awful in Bill Stewart's offense. This is a guy who was throwing for like 2,600 yards with Bill Stewart. And then he threw for 4,900 with Holgerson. So you had the fans who were clamoring for, God, we got to do something other than just run the ball and be a Big Ten, you know, mediocre team. So we hired Holgerson. And he was supposed to be a transition coach of, hey, you're going to be a, a, a coach in waiting or, a, you know, a head coach to be for a year and then take over. And there was a, a big to-do of Stewart trying to find dirt to getting fired and, and, and all this. So, Holgerson got thrust in early. Well, his first year, he wins 10 games. We have the drubbing of Clemson, and everyone's on cloud nine. Coming to the Big 12 thinking, hey, we're the, the big dogs. We've been running the Big East for the last 15 or last eight years or whatever. And, hey, this is big boy football now. You know, you're, you're not in that zone of, hey, you're the big fish in the little pond. Um, so he, he did okay his first year. He struggled in 13, where we went three and nine or four and eight. I, I forget the, the exact record. Um, and then kind of, like you said, you know, built back up. 14 was good. 15 was better. 16, we win 10 games. And, but we can never get over that Oklahoma home. And so you had fans going, hey, we're, we're at this point where he just can't beat Oklahoma. And we're never going to win a Big 12 title if we can't beat Oklahoma. The Big 12 runs through Norman. And we, we get Will Greer in. We get some, some transfers in. And we, he pushes his, all his chips in in 2018 and says, this is where I'm going. This is my, my team. If this team can't do it, I can't do it at West Virginia. We didn't. You know, there, there, whatever calls you want to talk about, whatever, you know, things happen, we didn't get it done. We had the chances. And that was it. So he left, uh, 
and you had fans. It, Holgerson was split, kind of split the fans. You had the fans who West Virginia is a big blue collar. You know, we want to beat you with defense. We want to beat you and and you know outwork you and 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 you know lunch pail kind of team. But then you also had the fans who were like, look, let's get into the 21st century. Let's let's be flashy. Let's do that. I was one of those. I enjoyed the offense. I love watching guys go deep and and all the plays and all the scores and everything. But at the end of the day, losing 50 to 49 or 46 to 45 is still not fun. Um, Brown comes in and he's the, that Southern charm that let me, let me talk to you and bring in the, the old players. Let me wear the colors. That was a big thing with Holgerson because he, he had the audacity to wear black on the sidelines. Uh, Brown's back to wearing, you know, the old gold blue. He, he's holding the spring games. Holgerson didn't hold a spring game one year because of the snow and just, he's doing all the things that the fans, he's doing a lot of uh, lip service and, and uh, things that the fans want to see. And that's kind of healing a lot of those wounds that happened with, Oh my gosh, Holgerson did this or that or whatever. That said, you still need results on the field. And so Brown has done the things for the fans. And now he needs to do the things for the team. Definitely. And, and that's uh, interesting that you say like kind of that lunch pail mentality uh, because that just shows how, how much I only follow college football nationally. Cause I think like Pat White went to West Virginia and that is like the antithesis of lunch pail, but things have happened. A lot of things have happened since then. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, that, that's really great and really great context and really uh, kind of shows us where we are going into the season and, and Neil Brown coming in. I think I speak for Grant saying we have just the utmost respect for him. Um, and, and, you know, did a lot more last year than people thought he was going to do. Um, let's talk about what he's working with here. Grant, do you want to kind of start us out talking about the units? Yeah, I do. I, I think um, the the obvious place to start is at quarterback. And, and you look at the turnaround last year, um, moving from, uh, you know, Austin Kendall to, to Jared Deggie. What are Deggie's skill sets and, and what does he kind of bring that to that offense? Deggie's biggest thing was that, and I don't mean this to, to, be mean to Austin Kendall here, but it was that like he could throw the ball further than 20 yards. Um, and, and that was really what was missing with Kendall in the offense was that there just wasn't a deep threat. And you can't, you can't back safeties off. You can't run. You can't have a run game. You can't do anything on offense if you can't throw the ball deep. And Kendall just couldn't do that. Deggie brought accuracy and precision and a good deep ball, which then opens up your offense. Um, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it felt like those last three games with Deggie, the run game was better. The offense was just more efficient. We were hitting, you know, instead of being in second and nine and third and eight and always being behind the chains, you were where you needed to be. It was third and three. It was second and six. It was easier to, you have a bigger playbook because you're not always having to, I need to get six yards here or, oh my gosh, we're, we're going to be even further behind. And heading into the season, was there – any hype around Diggy? Because I know I know Kendall was expected to be pretty good. And, I mean, coming from a TCU standpoint, we were fired up to get Max Duggan involved, right, even though Alex Dalton was starting. Was there a groundswell movement for Diggy at the start of the season, or did that just kind of come about as, hey, this ain't working, let's just put him in and see what happens? Well, it was weird. Uh, Diggy, you know, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a big push last year of all these guys getting – transferring and getting immediately eligible. Tate Martell and Justin Fields and all these. And we kind of thought, hey, and I think the coaches did too, of if we get this guy in, they're basically just granting all of these waivers. We'll get another guy in, and then we can have a true competition, and we'll see who, see who wins it. Well, 
they granted him eligibility, but they didn't grant him eligibility until like August 15th. Right. And you as a coach can't plan for anything if your guy who's you know supposed to be your number two going to compete for your number one isn't ready until the week before the season starts. So Kendall kind of won it on default. And, and at that point, Dagey's behind on the offense. You know, he's got to work his way through. And there really was a groundswell, you know, midway through the season of just, look, this guy's just not working anymore. You're, you're seeing it. And, like, we need to do something. Well, the backups behind him of Jack Allison and Trey Lowe were not much better. And then once it became – once they had the new rule in place that you could play up to four games and still keep your red shirt – okay, well, hey, now now we've got a chance with Deggie because he still had a redshirt available. Now we can play him these last four games. The big thing that came about was we were three and six at that point or two, you know, we had four games left. We needed to win all four to, to become bowl eligible. And it was, do you play Deggie those last four games and then play somebody else in the ball game? Do you play him that fifth game and burn his redshirt? Or do you wait a game and put yourself in this position of maybe I can, maybe I can't. They, they brought him in at Tech in the fourth quarter and played him one quarter to burn the red, you know, to, to get that, that movement going. And then we came through for the next three games. And I thought that was a, a – it's not what I would have done. If you're going to play him in Tech, start him and, and go those four. Don't play him that one game or that one quarter. So, uh, you know – but towards the end of the season, there was there really was just a big groundswell of like Kendall's not working. The offense is so bad at that point. We got to do something, you know, just to put a fresh coat of paint on this thing. Oh yeah, the the first West Virginia game I watched in its entirety last year was the Thursday night Baylor West Virginia game, and me not not a fan of either of those teams, but was rooting for West Virginia. I don't think I've been as frustrated for a game that I wasn't like, didn't have a rooting interest in just watching. Yeah. Like if Austin Kendall could have just thrown the ball, not at someone's feet, you would have like West Virginia would have beaten Baylor by 15. Oh my gosh. It was just infuriating. Um, so let's, so, 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 uh, Dagey's the guy. Let's talk about kind of his surroundings and, and who's, who's around there with him. So let's go to uh, running back and, and, and then we can talk about wide receiver here in a second. Um, what's the running back room like? Uh, you know, looking at kind of stats from last year, Letty Brown uh, seems to be the guy that's coming back. Is that going to be kind of the workhorse offense? How does the running back kind of work for Neil Brown uh, and how important is he in this, in this scheme? So and this is one of the things that I, I kind of excited about with Neil Brown is that, he really is a, a one-horse one dude, uh, and I really do think it's going to be Brown this year. Last year, people thought, hey, we had two seniors. We had uh, uh, Kennedy McCoy and Martel Petaway, both who were seniors. Hey, we should be able to lean on these, these guys and run the ball, and that should help kind of take, take some stress off the offense because the offense was on there. Well, that didn't happen in, in part because the offensive line was, was poor, um, you know, but this year, Letty Brown should be the number one guy. Tony Mathis is probably your number two. And Brown, if you go back and look at Brown's teams at Troy, it really is mostly one running back getting the majority of carries, a guy coming in to spell him. And that's about it. Holgerson was the guy who, let's run five or six people. Nobody's going to get more than 120, 130 touches. But everybody's fresh. I can bring you in. They all kind of do the same thing. So you don't know, am I running? Am I passing? What am I doing? Well, and it's funny, and, and not to move off running backs, because I, I am very interested in Letty Brown, but just looking at stats for the passing game, you talk about being a one-horse guy. I mean, Sam James 
in the passing game as a, as a redshirt freshman caught 69 passes uh, for the Mountaineers last year, and no one else caught more than 37, and that was Kennedy McCoy, who's a running back. So is that Brown just leaning on his best weapons? I mean, is that sort of a, you know, I, schematic? I think that was a – this is the only dude who was doing anything, to be honest. I mean, if you watched <laughs> it, he was the only one getting open. He was the only one breaking free. He was the only one really who, who had the ability to do anything. And – at that point when, you know, you're completing 16 or 17 passes a game, nine of them need to go to the guy who's open. Fair enough. That is uh, – TCU fans are well acquainted with, oh, my gosh, there's only one guy that can do anything, uh, having <laughs> yeah. Jalen Rager and <laughs> – yeah, and some, some – uh, uh, thank, uh, thank God he's gone. Thank God he's gone. Man. Um, Okay, so yeah, you, you also mentioned the offensive line, and we would be remiss to talk about – you know, the offensive line is, is really kind of the situation that was – um, especially tenuous going into last year. Um, so my question is one, like how does an offensive line get so bad year to year? Like Will Greer had fine protection. Um, and so mm-hmm. the bottom just kind of dropped out. And then what does that situation look like going forward uh, kind of into 2020? What, how does the line uh, look to be shaping up? I, I will say I was really surprised by the line's fall last year. You know, because if you looked at it, I'm pretty sure we had five upperclassmen throughout. We had two senior tackles and three junior interior guys I was pretty sure that the line was going to be good I don't know if it was a combination of you've got guys who were built for Holgerson's scheme which is more pass protection and zone opening or where Neil's kind of more one-on-one we're going to trap we're going to power some things um, I don't know if it was just there, there was a lot of hey I'm not a Neil Brown guy I was here for Dana Holgerson so there was some buy-in into the Am I, do I really want to spend my last year going through a rebuild or, you know, going through this new system? Um, I, I think the line's probably going to be the weak point on the offense, and it's probably going to take another year or so before you get the five guys who need to be up front who have enough experience going through the Big 12 and, and are strong enough. I mean, in general, for a team like West Virginia that's not getting five-star linemen, you need a, you need a redshirt year just to build your strength, and then you need a – redshirt freshman year just to learn the offense and so it's probably going to be another year before the lines really pushing people around so it's I think it's just a lot of the the offense and and getting the right guys in place definitely and and I think that's worth noting you know for for uh this again this is a TCU podcast so we're talking to people who aren't as familiar with West Virginia and it is it is important to note uh on paper Dana Holgerson and Neil Brown are both air raid guys uh, Neil Brown's air raid is not Dana Holgerson's air raid. It is an entirely different, you know, some people throw that term air raid around Neil Brown. Again, I love Neil Brown. I could talk about him for, uh, the rest of the podcast and I won't do that, but his, his air raid is an entirely different animal. And so it makes sense that it's kind of mismatch of parts, even though you had some experience on the offensive line. Um, and so that, I think that is, again, the hardest thing in college football is, you know, get that. You, you saw TCU last year. Uh, Lucas Nian gets hurt halfway through, and then the offensive line goes to hell, and the offense can't do anything. And that offensive line, especially in building a program, is just you just got to develop that, build that cycle and develop that up. So that'll be uh, interesting to see how Brown kind of can, can fill those holes to complement his very weird but very fun uh, college football scheme. Um, Grant, anything else on the offense? No, I, I think we pretty much covered it. Um, and moving to the defensive side of the ball, this is kind of where I have most of my questions because I don't, I don't mean this in any way at all. I, I do my research, you know, it, it, every season before, you know, every game and say, okay, who, who are the key guys? Who am I looking for? Looking at this West Virginia roster, there are a lot of names that I don't 
necessarily recognized on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you look, you have the Sills brothers, obviously Josh Chandler coming back, had a great season last year, but I, I'm just kind of tr- struggling to find the guys that are returning that made an impact last season. Who should we be looking for? Uh, I, you mentioned the Stills brothers, and those are really going to be the key on defense. Um, you know, we lost three guys, three starting corners uh, in Bailey and Josh Norwood and another guy. So the line's really going to be where they need to focus on, the Stills brothers uh, in pack. I do think the linebackers may, may come back. Uh, a guy that everyone had really high hopes for was uh, Vandarius Cowan, uh, who was an Alabama transfer. You know, he sat out 2018, he came in in 2019, and then he hurt his knee. So mm-hmm. he's not a guy that we've seen a lot of, but I think he's still only a redshirt junior. So he's still got two years left. And if he can be the impact linebacker like David Long used to be and like Jared Barber used to be and some of the other, Nick Kwiatkowski, if those guys, if he can be one of those impact players, I think he's a name that, that really jumps off the stat sheet coming in in 2020. And, and West Virginia, uh, this, this is something that I should know, but I don't know offhand. West Virginia is still running a, like a tight front, like a 3-3-5. And so Cowan would be that, that middle linebacker? I believe they transitioned last year. And I can't remember if they transitioned to a 3-4 or to a 4-3, but they kind of moved away from that 3-3-5 okay. a little bit. Um, so it's more of a standard scheme now. But Cowan would be kind of your stand-up middle linebacker running side to side. Uh, I don't know that he has, if you remember David Long, who was the – just Mr. Tackle for loss, who was always kind of shooting the gaps. I don't think a he's very, that guy. A very annoying player, David Long. Yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. It's always nice when you get to have one. Cause, uh, <laughs> right, right. But, but yeah, um, you know, he's definitely a run stuffer. He's definitely a guy who's going to be able to kind of put his nose down in the line and be that, that guy. Um, and like you mentioned, Josh Chandler. Josh Chandler had a really good year last year, and I think, you know, the linebackers are, are somebody to watch out for. Uh, we did get, and I'm trying to find the guy's name at the moment, but we did did just get a transfer from uh, the Big Ten of a safety. And that's really where you're going to see whether or not West Virginia's defense makes or breaks because the, the, de- the, the defensive backs are really kind of up in the air right now. Like I said, we lost three guys from last year who were seniors. You're going to have a whole new starting crew. And in the Big 12, if you can't stop the pass, you know, on the back end, you better be able to disrupt it up on the front end. And that's really kind of where West Virginia is going. They're going to need their defensive line to, to really make some waves here. Definitely. Yeah, I think I've seen, uh, I think I've seen Virginia or uh, West Virginia had Bryce Brand from Maryland and Scotty Young from Arizona, both immediately eligible, yeah. both coming in yeah. for, the, for the defensive secondary. So that'll be huge. Um, okay, so before – sorry, before we, – we kind of glossed over this, and I feel like we didn't give the Stills brothers their due. Um, can you explain to the rest of the college football world why we love the Stills brothers so much? Like West Virginia has these two brothers. One of them made a huge impact last year. One of them was just pretty good. Uh, can you make an argument for why they're so fun? Oh, absolutely. So for West Virginia, Gary Stills, their dad, was a player for West Virginia, and he, you know, he ended up playing in the NFL. Their Dante Stills, who is the younger brother, was the first blue chip West Virginia player in 10 years. So when he came in, it was a huge get. You know, West Virginia just wasn't one of those states that was producing a lot of talent. And so to get him was, hey, we finally got a blue chip in our own backyard. You know, maybe we can build something here. 
His brother, Darius, was actually the guy that you referred to as really good last year. He's a junior. He's going to be a senior this year. And he was kind of – I don't know if you guys get it, but I'm also uh, an SEC fan. My family went to Mississippi. So I'm very familiar with, hey, we need to take the older brother who's kind of good <laughs> mm-hmm. so we can get the younger brother who's really good. And bring his um, uncle on as assistant coach. and Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the high school – yeah, everything. And so that's kind of what it felt like with, with Darius. Darius was the, hey, let's bring him in so we can get the, get the younger brother. And Darius has, has turned it around and, and been the guy who was really creating plays, you know, and kind of like you see on offensive line where you need a year to get stronger and you need a year to learn the stuff. I think we've got a system now that really plays into Darius's strengths. Uh, the previous system, the three three five wasn't really ever about the, the defensive line. It was always about the odds tack for the deep, for the linebackers and then the five defensive backs with that uh, spur and the bandit and things of that nature. Well, now where we've kind of gone to a more even front and we're pushing things around, it kind of gives Darius that chance to, to be that Justin Tuck guy who can line up on the end and rush around or kind of line up on the inside and try and split that guard tackle and, and get into the quarterback. So, so, you know, when you have brothers who, especially active brothers on the defensive line, who you can make that argument of, hey, let's meet at the quarterback, I, that's just fun for college football in general. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. And, hey, Jake, I wanted to ask one, one sort of big picture question about the defense. Looking back last year, West Virginia had a five-game losing streak, um, it starting with the second game of Big 12 play where they gave up 42, 38, 52, 17 at the game against Baylor, and then 38 points and then proceeded to not allow more than 24 points the rest of the season. Of course, some of those are against bad offenses with TCU and Kansas State. But what changed? And, and was there anything in those final three games that you saw that you liked that could carry over into, into 2020? This is a weird answer. What changed was the offense. The defense was always Oh, good. You, just became a, you just became a big fan of this pot. Oh, right, we, yeah. we just became big yeah, fans of okay. yeah, you. Now are, you're speaking ooh, our language. We like Go you. Ahead. Okay, but that's yeah, great. Go ahead. In. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know it, it's it the the defense was always consistent but when you're on the field for 70 80 plays a game you can only be so good and what you saw was the damn breaking mm-hmm. you know I and I forget I'd have to go back and, and watch a game or two I'm sure there was one game where the defense was bad and I Oklahoma probably was it because Oklahoma's just really good and, and mismatch against everybody but in general the defense kept us in games until they couldn't. And usually what you see with a team that's really strong defensively is the offense needs to at least hold its own. It needs to have a long drive period every now and then. It needs to hold the ball. It needs to not turn the ball over. It needs to, you know, not put them in a short field for, you know, a score. And that's basically what the all, our offense did. They gave the ball up. We had so many three and outs. They would turn the ball over in the red zone. They did all the things that you don't do with a good, a good defense. And so, you know, you basically just saw the defense crumble under, oh, my gosh, we've been on the field for 38 minutes. We've been on the field for 80 plays. We, you know, I can't keep doing this because eventually I only call so many plays and they figure out what we're doing. And so in those last three games where we had a sustained offense, we could run four or five-minute drives, the defense was able to catch its breath and create some different blitzes, create some different looks, and that's basically the difference. Um, you know, there's, there's no reason that 
Texas Tech should score 38 on us, but then we hold Oklahoma State to 20. Mm-hmm. Other than the offense is now, you know, doing more that, as it should. Definitely. Um, okay, we just hit that infamous 10-minute uh, Zoom timer. So I want to make sure we talk about the schedule and about what's coming up uh, this, this fall. So for 2020, West Virginia is protected uh, to finish 64th overall in SP+. FE, uh, FEI, the Freemo Efficiency Index, has them at 53rd. Um, that ranks them ninth in the Big 12. They did uh, have the, the fourth highest recruiting class in the Big 12 this year. Um, and so looking to this fall, their non-conference games, they're going to play Florida State in Atlanta and then play uh, an FCS game and then play Maryland at home. Um, and then they have, uh, you know, five road games, excuse me, four road games in the um, – can't talk at all. Four home games in the Big 12. Um, and this slate is very intriguing if mm-hmm. I was a West Virginia fan. Kansas State in Morgantown. TCU in Morgantown, Kansas in Morgantown, Oklahoma in Morgantown, and then Baylor in Morgantown. Um, you'll notice there that I oscillated between four and five and then still said the wrong thing. They have five home games. Um, <laughs> a really nice slate. So uh, where, where are the wins? What, uh, who do you see in the uh, – let's start with the non-con, and then we, we can kind of talk about these home games, uh, potentially where West Virginia could find some wins this fall. So – Looking at the non-con, I think they start 2-0. Florida State is just – they've been bad. I mean, there's no way a new hire fixes that, that tire fire right away. So, even though it's a neutral site game, I think West Virginia comes away with that. you got a starter who now knows the offense. So, I, I've got that one as a win. I've been looking at that one as a win for almost a year now. If we don't beat Eastern Kentucky, I probably will not talk for a long time. So, <laughs> I, I, at least we're starting 2-0. Mm-hmm. Maryland was really bad last year as well. Um, I think they'll be tougher because they, they did have a really big explosion in you know, offense at the beginning of the season last year. And then they kind of ran into the same thing West Virginia did of, okay, now we're playing real teams and, you know, kind of finding out, you know, we're not as good as we thought. So, I think they start 3-0. and um, and then you get Kansas State at home. We've kind of we, – we turned that corner against Bill Snyder. I think the, the hire that Kansas State made is really good, and that was probably, a, you know, the perfect hire for them. I'm going to say that we beat Kansas State because we beat them last year, and now we get them at home, and it'll be early. I've got a starting 4-0 right now. Um, Texas Tech in Lubbock, that's probably a loss. Against you guys – you know, we're, it's always tough. Um, you know, it, that's one of those games where I think we're always very evenly matched. I could see it going either way. Uh, Texas, probably with Sam Ellinger as a senior, that's probably a loss. My God, we better beat Kansas. You know, I, we've the, already uh, <laughs> the TCU podcast, we, we have no comment on beating Kansas. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not the <laughs> We have nothing to say about so, that. Yeah, we, <laughs> We, 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 we had our decade loss in 2013. I, I don't ever need to do that again. Um, and at least I think, we, I, I think we can beat Iowa State at the end of the year. I think that'll be a tough game. You know, so at least I've got us three, four. I've got five wins for sure. Five wins in my head. I say I, I think we're, we've got five wins. Can we find a six win? You know, can we beat you guys or can we upset? Baylor or Oklahoma State or Iowa State and get that that bowl win I think it's up there I think there's there's easily an argument to be made that hey we're better than the numbers are saying you know we didn't see a full year of Daigie 
We, we now have a full year of Sam James who caught 70, nearly 70 passes last year. With He's going to have a guy who can throw the ball deep when he gets open. Um, so I, I, I see – I see bowl eligibility as a real, real possibility with the team this year. I think they start out hot. They're probably going to slide a bit, you know, as they get into the tougher games with Texas Tech and Texas and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. And then maybe turn around at the end of the year, pick up a, a win here or there, get that sixth win, and, and get what is more important than the bowl game, the bowl practices. Yeah, yeah. Gary Patterson preaches that a lot, too. We uh, missed out on those last year. And, and you kind of mentioned it. It's just a really backloaded schedule for West Virginia. I mean, you could get to five wins. You could talk yourself into 6-0, and and it's not out of the realm of possibility. And then outside of Kansas, every other team is probably going to finish in the top half of the conference. So I know m- momentum doesn't exist, Parker, but if you can get that ball rolling early, that's – I mean, that seems like a really good opportunity to steal one of those games that you otherwise might not – be a favorite to win on paper. Yep. I'm actually worried about the Maryland game because let me tell you, Maryland's superpower is winning games early in the season when they don't count. Do you guys remember last That's year true. that Syracuse was ranked? Yes. And then Maryland beat them. And so Maryland was ranked because they beat Syracuse. Yeah, just a very weird uh, early season uh, reality yep. there. Um, okay, so we kind of answered we kind of answered that. I went through, you know, I like to ask best case, worst worst case, uh, and kind of what do you predict? And so we've kind of hit those. And so my my kind of final question here, Jake, will just be for West Virginia, for a coach that just finished a year zero um, on a relatively positive note. What does progress in 2020 look like for Neil Brown and for West Virginia? Progress is a bowl. Uh, you know, West Virginia. I, I wrote an article several years ago that basically said. What is what are your expectations for West Virginia? And mine are bowl eligibility every year. We need to be playing in a bowl. I don't win, lose, whatever. We need to be in that postseason. Um, and every four or five years, we need to be challenging for the the conference. You know whether or not that means playing in the conference championship game or you know taking Oklahoma to, to overtime or whatever. But you need to have a good, really good year. You know every few years, but you need to be bowl eligible. Progress for your, for Neil Brown is absolutely six wins. Uh, a bowl win would go a long way to easing a lot of fans. That was also the negative for Dana Holgerson. You had Clemson and you beat Arizona State. And those were his only two bowl wins. Every other time we lost because somebody transferred or got hurt or whatever. So you get six wins and then you go into the Liberty Bowl and you beat Memphis or you know, whomever you play finish the season seven and six, there are a lot of people who are going to be happy with West Virginia for that year. That's a two-win increase over over last year. You've got one more year of your quarterback. You can start talking about eight, nine wins. Um, you know, so that that's it. Get bowl eligible, sneak away with a bowl win, go, go have fun on, you know, New Year's Day. Definitely. That, um, that sounds about right. And that's a, that, you know, it's, it's always a weird position to say like, all right, you're, you're bad, but we expect you to be better. But how much better do you expect to be? And, and a bowl feels like that minimum floor of stepping forward. Um, great. Well, Jake, thanks so much, man, for coming on today. We've really enjoyed this. This is super informative um, and, and a great picture of kind of West Virginia this, uh, this fall. Where can people find you and find your work online? So I write for the Smoking Musket. Um, Smoking Musket is SB Nation's uh, West Virginia blog. West Virginia uh, blog. blog. Some yeah. of our, yep. our dear friends. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. We love you guys. Uh, you can probably find me on your your SB Nation blog coming over to to hound you guys to talk about uh, some different things. I I know I had to retire that uh, 
TCU was in was in Dallas. Uh, you know, because I know I know we like to, to poke fun at each other. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nightstare N I T E S T A R E. You know, something I made up when I was sixteen. So, um, and yeah, I'm I'm active when when we have have things. So uh, you know, I look forward to the season. Awesome. Well, we'll throw that uh, we'll throw that handle in the uh, show notes. And Jake, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jake. Uh,